0: welcome to the 13th episode of the football media podcast on the team of John O'Shea's platform. I'm John McKenzie and across the course of a new season I'm going to be bringing you a weekly podcast that seeks to open up the often murky underworld of the football media. This week I'm speaking to three journalists who work within the women's football media Susie Rack, Sophie Lawson and Anne-Marie Batson. In the course of our conversation, we discuss their experiences of working within the women's football media, its crossover with the wider media, and the future of reporting on the women's game. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share it with your friends, subscribe, rate and review on iTunes in order to help us gain exposure, and if you're a social media person, follow us on Twitter at Footy Media Pod. Next week, we'll be speaking to Richard Whittle about football media in the American context, but before that, it's Susie Rack, Sophie Lawson, Anne-Marie Batson, and the women's football media. Enjoy. Thank <music> you. I'm joined today by three journalists who tend to work in the the women's football scene Usually I get the guests to introduce themselves at this point But obviously there's three people to get through So what I will do is I will introduce them one at a time And then ask them to just give a little bit of a situational context Tell us uh, what they're doing and how they fit into the, the media landscape So let's start with Susie Susie, could you tell us a little bit about your background What you do and how you ended up doing what you're doing
1: yeah, so uh, I've had a bit of a weird, unorthodox journey into uh, sports media and that I did an uh, architecture degree at university and kind of came in through design at newspapers into writing, though had always written for fanzines and things like that. Um, and uh, now I uh, write for The Guardian on women's football. Um, I've had a weekly column for a year and a half now. And... Uh, also do some match reporting and a bit of general news reporting all related to women's football. I also work on the desk uh, doing sub-editing and layout shifts uh, too. So uh, yeah, that's where I'm at.
0: So you have that experience of the wider media in general then on the desk?
1: Yeah, um, I've also uh, freelanced at um, the Sunday Times. Um, I did seven months, uh, two days a week at the BBC on the sports desk. Um, I worked for uh, Trinity Mirrors Brief project, The New Day, uh, laying out the sports pages of that uh, for four months. Um, So, yeah, I've got quite a good rounded out uh, view of various
2: outlets.
0: Anne-Marie Batson, how about yourself? How did you end up in the media?
2: I went about it kind of the wrong way, really. So I started, I actually did a degree in media studies when I was at university and then worked in public relations for actually a very long time. But in the back of my mind, I'd always wanted to be a sports journalist and having various conversations with people and doing a bit of research and sending myself on evening classes, day classes, work experience. I was continually told, don't do it because the industry is shrinking and sports is really, really competitive. And particularly as as a, a black woman as well, you're going to find it very, very hard. And that kind of made me think, well, actually, I'm really going to go for it. So an opportunity presented itself when I was offered the chance to cover the England Lionesses England senior women's team for the voice newspaper, which is a, a newspaper, national newspaper for the afro caribbean community. And I uh, freelanced for them for about a year. And then an opportunity came up to do match reporting for BBC five live sports extra covering the FA WL WSL matches for the WSL show. So I've been doing that for the last year or so. And, that's led to more work freelancing with Five Live Sports Extra, Talk Sport 2 and also BBC Sport. And I, I cover women's football, but I cover a multitude of sports as well. So F1, tennis in particular, and men's football.
0: And last but by no means least, Sophie Lawson. Sophie, tell us a little bit about your, your background.
3: Well, oh, mine's a, <clears throat> a little bit stranger because I started out as, uh, life as a chef um, and just uh, ended up getting into women's football over the 2015 world cup uh started going to matches started writing about them someone got in touch and said hey do you want to do a bit of do a bit of that for us and that's how i ended up uh writing for for vavel and it's kind of it's just for me it's more about a uh, sort of a passion for for just sort of covering the sport getting it a bit more out there if you will as so i sort of travel around europe quite a bit and see different teams different leagues uh so that's that's what i do
0: Right, I think we should start off with the question that that Anne-Marie put to us, which is about infrastructure. One of the things I find really interesting about the women's game is that it is always held up against the men's game as a sort of standard, both in terms of the gameplay for the women, uh, with people saying, well, you know, if it's not as good as the men's game, why would I watch it? And I wondered if we could talk about how that changes your approach, or if it does change your approach to journalism, and whether or not you think the the, the journalism for for the uh, women's game should be compared against the men's game. When I've talked about this, the most most interesting aspect is people sort of saying, "Well, what what about the women's game getting its own history, having its own development, having etc. etc." And I wondered whether or not we could kick off with that. Should the should the women's coverage have its own history, um, and how does how do you feel about working in the women's game in particular? within the wider context of the fact that the men's game is, is so popular.
2: So this came about because I was watching a show over the weekend and the question was brought up about the women's game versus the men's game. And there is the wider debate to have. I'm just uncomfortable that there is, there is this constant comparison that how can you say the women's game is on par with the men's game? Why can't it not just be that it's football? Football is football as far as I'm concerned, regardless of your agenda, at the end of the day, it's a game there that's, that's to entertain people, to look at the technical ability, the skills, the players, the teams. I just don't understand why there's this constant thing of, you know, why does the women's game have to be as good as the men's? Why does it really matter as long as people are enjoying what they're watching, they're supporting, uh, they're looking at the tactical, you know, the tactical skills and so on and so forth. I just don't understand why there's this... Constant barrage of, yeah, but it's not as good as the men's. So, what I don't understand that. And I think I take the point about the infrastructure. I I think it was, you know, from if I'm correct me if I'm wrong, Susie, but you kind of highlighted it in one of your pieces for The Guardian. And you and I have spoken about this before about the, you know, some of the teams when you go to watch them their grounds are you know could be 20 miles away from where the men play for example and how can that be solved going forward i was at a a game at the weekend and i know it sounds a bit small but it was quite impactful that there was no wi-fi and the press people were slightly struggling trying to send information back to the various news desks and were having to use their phones to do that Um, might sound small but that's quite significant so, I think there are there is the debate to be had about the infrastructure, but I just don't like this pitting against pitting in somebody else if that makes sense
1: yeah, I mean uh one of the things that kind of frustrates me um is that the the game is the women's game being compared to the men's um doesn't work because they're at completely different stages of development um you know women's football has Well, suffered a 50 year ban by the FA um, from the 20s to the 70s, uh, you know, when it was attracting crowds of up to 53,000 and, uh, you know, hasn't had the same progression of the men's game. Uh, People complain about the kind of the technical level of the game um, and the physical quality of the game and uh, say so it's not as fast or as slick as the men's and yeah that's of course going to be true because um, ultimately you've got uh, players that haven't been playing their entire lives if they have they've been working they've been studying on the side it's not like you're, you know you're you're Ronaldo's or your Me- Messi's or even you know like your Jack Wilshers or whoever you know a bit lower lower down to that level who are uh, who are signed by clubs age eight and then are trained to be professional footballers in the women's game uh, they are, they're, they're working, they're studying football is, is you know, uh, a passion on the side um, uh, that now for the first time they're starting to be able to make some money money from. So for the very first time, we're, we're getting uh, a pathway from being a very, very young girl all the way through to professional football, where the technical level will improve massively uh, as that develops. Um, and I think that's going to be the the real test of when you can start comparing the games but they also there's, there's big differences if anything i think the women's game has uh, more potential to actually be a more technically um interesting game than the men's uh, ultimately once you kind of get players coming through who are doing it their entire lives and are being trained by the right coaches and receiving the same uh, treatment um amory raised the great uh, point about the, the difficulty for facilities uh for media staff at grounds I mean well for yeah firstly getting to grounds uh is, is a nightmare um I can't imagine what it's like for fans um you know Brighton playing play Crawley <laughs> um uh Everton played uh, well been playing all over the place they played their, their their match against Arsenal at the weekend in Southport um an early kickoff as well uh it's, not the easiest place to get to at the best of times um all games are played on Sundays at the moment generally so you've got the problem of engineering works and uh, reduced timetables um then you've also got generally pretty poor media facilities within those grounds I've covered men's games um and it's just a whole other level of, of service you get at, 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 at Grounds. Um, at Birmingham, there's two seats with tables. One has a restricted view of one of the goals. Um, West Ham apparently doesn't have any tables at all. You know, real, real basic basic stuff that journalists, journalists need to be able to cover the games properly. So, you know, it's all right to demand and say that there should be more coverage of women's football but it would be nice if the environment was a little bit better uh, Arsenal <laughs> it's very difficult to get to the toilet at, um, at half time because you have to fight through the crowds because the press box isn't that near uh, any uh, toilet um, yeah, so uh, it's, it's you know a job but a bit of a labor of love as
3: well
0: yeah and you were saying this as well sophie so what's your experience of, of, of this sort of thing
3: i think the grounds uh are, are quite an, in- an issue for for a lot of people and it, it varies wherever you go but I, I always personally say that you need a desk wi-fi and team sheets and it three really basic things you'd think but too often you're missing all three or, or a combination of stuff so your laptop has to go on your knees or your ankles and uh, and you're kind of scrambling for for player numbers some half the times when if you don't end up with a team sheet. But I, I am aware that there's the FAR working to kind of try and have a minimum standard across both both the the top two tiers in England. Um, but it's you know there's only so much you can do.
2: Can I throw one in there with what just? what Sophie said another one is formation um I'm I'm always I'm always really there's a big smile on my face when I see Susie at matches because then I can ask her what's the formation because that's the one thing that I do struggle with and when I when I was doing when I'm doing match reporting you know live on the radio that's one thing I want to ask about formation and and look and see how they're setting the teams up I can't actually work that out until they're on the pitch which by then is is too late and you will see correct me if I'm wrong but you will see on Premier League days on their social media channels they'll put out the formation of their teams
1: some of them print it at the top of uh, at the top of their team sheets as well which I think is is really good have a little pitch with the with the formation the numbers of the players in formation I think what well, part of the problem with that is well I mean they do it in the men's game so it, it's it's not like it it's not doable but the FA, the FA and uh, and clubs forget that we're not Uh, journalists in the same way that men's journalists cover men's football Um, that, you know, if for example, you know, you've got a Guardian journalist covering Manchester United they will just cover Manchester United on the whole they will be there week in, week out, they'll be watching the tiny machinations of um, of how the team changes of who's injured, of the of um, the, oh look that player's shifted slightly inside Um, and we're uh, a much smaller operation in that often it will be one person from one outlet covering the entirety of English women's football and possibly women's football abroad. And so you don't, you're not at a game of one club every single week to follow those things. So you kind of, you know, need to be helped a little bit with that. You know, it's not a, a gap in knowledge; it's the fact that we're we're trying to do it for twenty or thirty teams at the same time, which is is not an easy task.
0: When we were coming out with the running order, Sophie had a, had a tongue-in-cheek, well, it, I guess it isn't even tongue-in-cheek, but a comment about how often you'll have the word kitchen in response to an article about women's football. And I think there's a serious point here about, you know, yes, being compared to the men's game, but also having to face a huge amount of, and we're going to talk about the abuse that the players get later on. But what about in terms of uh, as being just a journalist, to what extent do you experience that sort of abuse um, and, or negativity even in, in your work?
1: all the time um I think every article I write uh now the uh Guardian moderators um moderate every single comment um because I think they just got sick of of watching the just kind of off-topic dismissal and abuse of of women's football generally um and I think I think that's a uh, it's a good thing they do that but it does stifle the discussion a a little bit um but uh i mean i get people sliding into my dms on twitter because they're open for stories uh to slag off articles i've had personal emails to my personal email address um slagging off uh things i've written um and i mean it's kind of a bit you're kind of so used to it it's just a bit water of water of ducks back uh for me but i could see you know particularly for younger newer journalists it could have a bit more of an effect
2: Just echoing what Susie said, really, again, I don't understand it. I don't understand why we have to continually defend our right to work in the space. We're doing a job at the end of the day. And and as Sophie mentioned earlier, it's a passion as well. Why do we have to say, why do we have to justify doing something that we love because of our gender? I don't understand that. And I'm hoping one day someone can explain it to me because until that time comes, I'm going to keep doing my job, as I'm sure.
3: I think it's so it's just—it's this sheer unoriginality of going through and seeing the word kitchen and sandwich over and over again. Like, if you're gonna if you're gonna say no one cares, take the time to write out a comment. At least come up with something that you haven't seen a thousand times before.
1: <laughs> yeah, the amount of people as well that will you know bust out a comment like that or uh, or a tweet, clearly having just read the headline of an article, which. I haven't written um, and uh, and not, you know, making some stupid point that, that is well and truly taken up in the article itself is that's that's the most frustrating thing is when when you've not even read the piece, but have, have taken the time to just come on just to have a pop at women's football um, in those kind of very broad cliched ways.
0: I'd like to sort of push you all further on the question about whether or not you feel as though you are first and foremost a football journalist or a, a woman 's football journalist when you're when especially when you 're working in in the women 's game should that matter, do you feel a part of the of the wider football or sports media
3: um I, f- for me there's there's no difference i uh, I think i've covered all of one men 's game which was probably one of the worst games i've ever seen which says a lot about about i think it was um Brentford Norwich it says a lot about both those teams but uh, for for me it's if you're just covering football it's football it doesn't matter if it's women or men it doesn't matter if it's English or Norwegian it's football.
2: So I guess from my point of view as I I mentioned I don't just cover women's football I cover a few other sports as well so to me I'm a sports journalist and a sports broadcaster um if someone calls me a, a women's football reporter i have a smile on my face if someone says oh you're just a journalist i still have a smile on my face that's that's my job i just i'm very lucky and privileged to work with some fantastic people and get to do something that i love every pretty much every day so whatever i'm called it, it doesn't bother me in the slightest apart from obviously something rude and abusive and offensive
1: yeah uh, similar to me really um i I've always considered myself a sports journalist generally, um, you know, working on desks, doing uh, sub-editing layout um, and various other uh, roles within different um, different organisations. I've covered all sports. Um, I got incredibly into golf, much to my surprise, two years ago during the <coughs> FedEx Cup at gone 2am in the office of The Guardian um and uh I even found myself slightly getting into chess the other day so I I just love sport um and uh yeah so whilst you know I'd say I you know I would describe myself as a as a women's football journalist as well that's my essentially my my main freelance role at the Guardian at the moment um I like I've covered men's football good matches um I've Edited horse racing copy, cricket copy, rugby copy—you name it. So I, I kind of see myself as a sports journalist with a with a bit of a specialism in women's football.
0: Susie, you had a question about the amount of coverage that women's football gets, whether or not it's justified, whether or not outlets should feel any responsibility to cover. Can you expand on that for us?
1: It's one of the things that always comes up on in the below the line on uh, articles um, in the comments. Um, is oh, uh, you know. The Guardian is wasting its time it, with all this uh, coverage of women's football. They're just being PC. Uh, it doesn't deserve it. It doesn't get the audiences to uh, to warrant the amount of coverage it gets. Um, and, uh, um, yeah, I mean, kind of my reply is that, well, I mean, firstly, if, you know, you look back historically, like I say, the, the, the ban on women's football for 50 years, the fact that they couldn't even play in... Um, in affiliated grounds um, that, you know, it was relegated to parks um, and dropped off uh, the back pages as well. And there was no real real fight from the media to kind of protect it as well. I mean, there's a great book, um, I think it's called From the Front Page to the Back Room or something like that, uh, or From the Front Room to the Back Page, the other way around, uh, which um, goes through a history of, uh, of, of sports media and describes the kind of the the mutual relationship that football has to the press um in that like the, the press have very much helped uh bring football to where it is today at the same time as being very very reliant now on the beast that it's grown um and i think there is a bit of a responsibility uh for both you know on, on the FA on clubs and on journalists to cover it uh to cover women's football properly and uh and it uh, again it can be a mutually uh successful relationship if uh if the game grows and and an outlet is at the forefront of, uh, of covering it um it's only going to be only going to be a good thing um that's yeah that was kind of my main force on it it'd be interesting to see what other people
2: ha- think i remember one of your from one of your pieces susie i was reading the comments as i do and I, there was somebody who was saying about how Scumthorpe, for example, you know, mm-hmm. has six thousand in attendance regularly at the weekends and, and barely gets anything in the press or on social media, and yet women's football gets a lot more coverage and the attendances are far lower. Um but then I start thinking about well actually there's a there's a fantastic social media channel that actually monitors how much women's sport is reported. And I think it's it's quite a small percentage across the, the dailies and the weekends anyway. So I guess, I mean, I guess if you're a fan of Scunthorpe, then of course you're going to feel aggrieved that you feel that your team's not getting the, the same, is not getting the coverage it deserves. But at the same time, as you've rightly pointed out, women's football was banned effectively for 15 years. It's still trying to crawl its way back into the public consciousness. So anything we can do to help that grow, I'm all for it.
3: Yeah, I kind of feel that <clears throat> for women's football... Half the time it feels like you're, you're, you're fighting a battle just to get people aware of it. So any, any exposure you can give it will always try and, it will help to grow it. I think it's just something you've got to be slapped around the face with. And, and, and I think as Anne-Marie said, even though you are seeing more and more coverage across different platforms, it's still a a tiny amount when you compare it to, to the beast that is men's football.
1: gets massively exaggerated when people kind of moan about the amount of coverage it gets, you know, the the amount of resources that, that, re, that go into uh, into covering women's football relative to covering uh, any other mainstream sport is is absolutely minuscule, I don't think people realise um, I don't think people realise that I'm freelance, for example, you know, I think people just kind of assume that we're all full-time earning loads of money from it and you know, kind of Fleet Street journos but we're, we're not, we're um, uh, we've been working hard to cover the game for years and fighting for every crumb we could get off of the, the, the kind of mainstream table.
0: Just following Sophie's Twitter feed to see just how, how much effort you have to go to to get around the country, get around Europe to watch watch the game. So to what extent do you feel as though you're all working against the odds to, to even end up sitting in a press box at a women's game?
1: Well, I'm, I'm really lucky in that The Guardian... Um, you know, have really upped their game in recent years. Obviously, taking me on in the first place to write the weekly column, then um, upping uh, the number of games they get me to go to um, and things like that. I mean, I struggle with just being able to get to games um, because of the problems we listed previously. But um, it's it, it's not hard for me to get in a press box now. You know, I um, you know nine times out of ten they will approve my request to go to a game and want uh coverage uh from either a match report or, you know, like I went up to the um Scotland USA friendly uh last week and uh, they didn't want a match report from it but um they uh were like yeah go for it um you know we'll cover it. Uh do us a couple of features if you get a chance to speak to some of the players. Um so yeah so uh generally you know I'm quite lucky in that the, in particular, this, this kind of football season um i'm at a game over once a week pretty much on
0: average which is great sophie i know that you do a lot of traveling so what have your experiences of that been
3: just that no one should should ever willingly fly ryanair mostly um <laughs> it's yeah i i because everything i do is is a uh, pro bono and uh, you know there's no reimbursements for travel everything's off you know it's it's one eye on the bank account can i get there how can i get there uh let's see can i fly into to denmark and get a coach to norway have done that before well vice versa you know and you know whether it's just trying to get up to to southport uh to to see everton that's that's hours of of searching around online looking for ways to cut it um because i don't drive and and i, I don't have the the funds to, to do it the expensive way on the train or whatever and and that's another issue you have in say WSL and and the championship is the schedule can get changed at, at the drop of a hat sometimes it's I think that we only had about two or three weeks before the start of the season before the fixtures were released and that's you know if if you're even if you're just a fan looking to get to away games that's it's a headache to, to try and sort.
1: Sophie is like the most immense women's football globetrotter.
0: I totally agree with that. I'm always entirely amazed at, at watching her escapades unfold on Twitter. So
1: Yeah, when I saw her uh, taking a trip to the Faroes Islands to speak to the women's national team there and cover it, that was uh, pretty incredible. <laughs>
0: Sophie raised the point that the line between professionalism and the friendship of journalists in the women's game is interesting she mentioned that sometimes you'll re- you'll hear many commentators refusing to be brutally honest about what's happening during a match and she raised the question of whether the, the closeness of the reporters to the, the players might actually influence the way that the game is reported any thoughts on this I mean Anne-Marie you'd be the person to go to for this because you do a lot of commentary is there is there any extent to which you feel as though the closeness that you get to uh, the players in the women's game, actually affects the way that you report.
2: It's a really interesting point, actually, and it really got me thinking because the as I mentioned, some you know before matches, I'm required to go and interview the managers before kick off, and then interview them immediately post match. And of course, if somebody's won the match, if the team has won, then it's all joy and happy. And of course, if you've lost. It's the slightly more trickier prospect. The way that I do it is to ask the difficult question, but in an empathetic way. So, for example, and I'm sorry, and I love talking to him, Lee Birch for Yeovil Town, of course, um, you know, before they had that win the other day, they'd lost a succession of of matches and having to interview him post-match you know, asking those those very difficult questions, but coming from a point of understanding, but at the same time questioning why things were not clicking or why things weren't happening on the pitch, and then seeking answers as to what he was going to do about it. And all props to Lee, he's very honest, and he's very straightforward, and he'll give you the answer. Um, other managers, I'm afraid to say, it's a more trickier um, prospect, asking those difficult questions. But I try and be the person that wants to get that information teased out of them to understand how they're going to make it right or what improvements they're going to make. I don't see myself as as friends with the managers. I'm I'm there to do a job, of course. But I'm also coming from a point of view of, of a fan as well and, and trying to understand where things are going right and how things have clicked and when they haven't. I'm I'm never going to be that journalist or broadcaster who goes in for the kill. In inverted commas, that's not what I'm about. That's not my values. I'm somebody who's just very who's very honest and, and open and wants to understand. And and I try and put that across in my questions to them.
0: Susie, what about yourself? Because obviously you'll have had a lot of exposure to a lot of the players and the the managers.
2: Yeah, I think it's important to build good
1: relationships with um, players and managers. Um, I think. There, there's a there can be a little bit of a criticism of um, of women's football journalists being uh, too close to the game in a way, but I think um, it's it's about. I mean, you look at some of the men's journalists. Look at uh, Ian Abrahams, Moose on the on Talksport, who is uh, taking selfies and ha- wishing happy birthday to it, it to his best mates and uh, and. Um, various players every single day virtually you know i think um it's it's massively overstated you know i think that that having good strong relationships um is is having good contacts um the thing i would say is like you know i'm never afraid to cover the, ne- the negative side of the game um and the, the kind of negative aspects of uh of the game you know things like uh, well daniel taylor's brilliant um stuff on anyaluco and uh, and bullying or um you know kind of criticizing the fa and and clubs approaches and things like that i think i think they're very important because uh i think yes most women's football journalists are fans of women's football and want to see it develop and want to see it progress um and i think when when some stories have broke there's there's, there's almost been a little bit of kind of um, backroom chat on whether uh, whether a big story uh, that kind of negatively impacts on the game is uh, is coming out, is, is that a good thing? Um, for me, that answer is yes, because ultimately, if you're a fan of women's football and you want to see the game grow, you want it to be the healthiest possible environment for it to grow. Um, and kind of eradicating those aspects um, is important. Um, but it's it's definitely a, a kind of like... Uh, a kind of fine line that is balanced between building relationships and being a supporter of the game and being a proper journalist and covering it properly as a
3: journalist.
0: Do you think there's a difference there between the men's game and the women's game? Do you think the men's game is likely to be a little bit more deferential to the players and the managers in terms of the journalists?
3: Well,
1: like I say, uh, some are, some aren't. I think it's less of a... uh, it's a more straightforward relationship in that um, for so long covering women's football has been a bit of a niche thing and has relied quite heavily on access Um, so yeah being able to get to the players and the managers in the first place can be quite hard so you, you, you don't want to jeopardise those relationships in any way it's the first time that it's it's you know got kind of mainstream uh, news outlets covering it on a regular basis that kind of demand the authority um uh, com- yeah command the authority and and demand uh the access with with greater ease than say um independent journalists that have been covering it for years for blogs for podcasts in a in a really really like impressive and in depth way um but they have had to protect protect their access um you know they've not had the benefits of um you know the, there's a new football writers association um women's uh women's football kind of like little committee that meets and discusses and um and represents women's football journalists within the fwa and will put things to the fa will put things to clubs or challenge them on access on um uh on uh the infrastructure and things like that and that that's not existed for a lot of independent journalists who have been covering it for a very long time um so i think you know that's for me, it's, it's something that can, com- it, it has existed in the women's game. It's, it's less important now because we are able to, both as national journalists, but also as independent journalists who are also represented, uh, to, um, command a bit more respect and a bit more, uh, a bit more from clubs. So those, those relationships aren't quite so in jeopardy if, um, you know, if you cover the negative. I think that's, that's an important point is that, uh, when it's when it's been a much smaller uh, smaller scale um, level of coverage, uh, you know you have you you have to you have to cultivate the relationships you have you have to have them um, and they have to be good and you do have to compromise a little bit to, to maintain them and I don't think that's uh, something that should be criticised because during a time when uh, I mean it's still very few resources but a time when there were so little resources that um, it's it was necessary. Um, it's becoming less ne- less necessary. And I think that's that's the difference between it and the men's game in the in that the men's game is, is way, way past that point, you know. Journalists journalists have a right to be there, have a right to criticise, have a right to um uh to cover things without a risk of, of being kicked out Trump style. Um so uh yeah that for me that's the biggest difference but I don't think it's it's A negative. I think it's just a a part of the development of women's football and the development of women's football media.
0: Yeah, the access question I find really interesting. I've got a friend who works in the analytics industry, and he's recently done a piece looking at the women's game. And he was telling me how difficult he'd found getting access to some of the players, some of the background staff, some of the managers. So, Sophie, I wondered if whether or not you've you've obviously worked in the game for a while now. Have you seen access become more difficult during your time? And do you think that that's a good or a bad thing? Obviously. In the men's game it's very hard to get access do you think that that's just a reflection of the game becoming more popular
3: it depends of who you're you're dealing with and, and where you're trying to go uh you know i, I know um you know, it's if you want if you want access to to the premier even just for accreditation for premier league games you've got to go it's it's um you know it's all data code whereas women's football it's generally just about sending one email to to the relevant person but there, as the game gets big, bigger, you do see more teams trying to bring their media in house, which I mean, which is completely understandable. But at the same time, you're there. You're like, I just would it be possible to interview this one person to try and give you some exposure? And whether that's a national team or whether that's as a club team, it can be. It can be a struggle. Um, and there's uh, I'm not gonna uh, don't want to go by any names, but there's definitely a European team that. Um, the very well known that really are not good about having their doors open, and they try and keep everything in house, which is all well and good if you speak that particular language. But if you want anything English, you, there's there's no coverage out there because they're not an English team, and everything is is kept in house. And I, you know, it's it's completely understandable as the game grows, and and you want to protect your players and and whatnot. But at the same token, you need. You need the give and go with media.
0: Susie, you'd be you'd be interesting to talk to you on this because obviously you're dealing with a lot of uh, the big clubs as well. Do you think there is has been this growth in difficulty of of, of access to to the bigger players and the bigger clubs?
1: Oh yeah, it's definitely changed um, quite significantly. I mean, you used to be able to just have kind of, you know, you know, you'd get past mobile numbers of players and you could just ring them up and uh, and do an interview. Now, you know, particularly at the bigger clubs, the Arsenal's, the, M- the Man City's, the Man United's, etc. You know, you've got to have a press officer on the phone with you or in the room with you. It's done through conference calling to, you know, unknown numbers and that kind of thing. And that's if you can get the access in the first place um, and actually arrange those interviews in the first place, obviously. The Guardian is a good name and um, uh, and commands um, attention from from club press officers. But I struggle with some clubs uh, who really aren't that accommodating and kind of have this very much, uh, very much an attitude of of kind of uh, you know we don't really need the press. Um, you know we it's um, it's you know we we we're, we're ticking along fine. It's it's not a it's not a necessary part of our of our growth strategy. Um, and yeah, and you get very, you get very, very little time with clubs. Uh, you're often the bottom of the list past broadcast as well. Um, uh, particularly post-match, um, you don't always get both managers, which, you know, I think is something that needs to be resolved because, uh, it's just as and when various press officers fancy letting you have players and managers, um, Yeah, you're very much at their whim. Requests can be hard. You can wait weeks uh, to hear back. Um, it has changed Um, it used to be a lot more open it used to be you know you you ring up the club you say you want to speak to this player and you get to speak to them Um, it's not like that anymore
0: do you think that's because the press offices are being agglomerated together so the men's and the women's game are being sort of brought under the same press office so that so that the women's game is being sort of treated with the same sort of rigor that that you'd expect from the from the men's press office
1: yeah I think it is that and I think that it's it's disappointing because um I think one of the things that makes women's football quite um quite special is is the kind of uh the interaction of players with with fans and the press and the stories and the backstories of, of players um and how they've they've got to the stage for that and things are the are like some of the most interesting sides of the game and um and it, it does cut that off and you start getting the blander, kind of more cliched answers to questions um that that you hear come out of the likes of uh of the top players in the men's game's mouths, you know, the, the things that, that are just kind of a standard Dull answers, and, you know, don't have any depth to them, don't have any thought behind them, and are just kind of safe, playing it safe because they're scared of, uh, of, of saying something out of turn. Whereas, um, yeah, yeah, previously it was, you, you, you would get quite a rich, uh, rich conversation with, with a lot of them.
0: Let's move on to the, the question about ACL injuries. Obviously the, the sad news this week was that, that Jordan Knobbs has has just picked up an ACL injury, picked up on Sunday, I think. We've got a question here about obviously ACL injuries being more prevalent in the women's football than men's. To what extent do you think that will impact the, the professionalisation of the sport? I think obviously the, the more professional the sport becomes, the the more likely they are to be sort of kept at the at the limit of their of their I guess bodily capacity. Do you think we're gonna start seeing more and more ACL injuries and do you think that could inf- impact on the game
1: for me it's it's the, the biggest thing is about resources um and uh facilities uh, for women in the game um it's been like scientific studies suggest that, w- that women are more likely to suffer these injuries because of um uh, bigger hips and um uh that meaning that you you kind of you the alignment of your knees is different and you uh, will land on them or twist them in, in a, in a different, worse way than men will. Um, and it's, uh, it's obviously, uh, a very, nasty and long rehabilitation process and uh one of the things that kind of is particularly frustrating is that in a women's game contracts are often quite short as well you know you've not got these kind of three four year five year contracts that you get in the men's game so it's not like you know players are necessarily going to get sport for that entire time you know you could find themselves out of the game for a period of time um there's no um Uh, not all clubs have insurance to cover these kind of injuries. So you've got players kind of crowdfunding for uh, treatment. Um, You've got players at some quite big clubs who if given access to kind of the full men's medical staff and equipment and rehab rehabilitation equipment, um, would make much quicker and better recoveries than they're able to at the moment because they don't have that access. And then you've also got the question of the fact that, um, football boots aren't, uh, designed for women. They're designed for men's bodies and, and, and men's, uh, the, the structure of men's bodies. And, um, uh, you know, if there was some proper work put into, uh, building boots that, are gonna help prevent serious injuries in, in, in women's uh, football. Uh, it, it could make a massive difference. It's really like it's just really devastating. I'm, I, I can say I'm an Arsenal fan. I have I've followed Arsenal women since I was a kid. I'm I adore Jordan Nobbs. She's a fantastically brilliant footballer, and seeing her uh go down uh in that game at the weekend i was there i was the press boxes at the very top back of the main stand and it was just silent and all you could hear was her screams and she's not one to scream very easily and it's just it's just really really devastating to watch that in a world cup uh going into a world cup year as well uh which she will almost definitely miss uh with a ruptured ACL. Um, it, yeah, it's, it's really hard when you know that those injuries are preventable. You know, you had Kim Little miss, uh, Scotland's first international major tournament, uh, the Euros, uh, in 2017. And, um, and that, that was pretty, pretty going too. Claire Rafferty has, has spoken a lot about. The trouble she's had with free ACL injuries over the years, whilst maintaining a top level career at Chelsea, um, she's had more support than than a lot of uh, a lot of players would get would get at clubs kind of lower down. Um, and the frustrating thing is that the the sheer volume that you're getting them in the women's game means that. They are likely, you know, a big proportion of them are likely to have been preventable in some way, and that that's or, and or recovered from a bit quicker as well, and that's that's the kind of really gutting thing for me.
0: Is there any other areas in which you think the the women's game is still behind the men's game in terms of its ability to respond to things like that? You know, we talk about how the clubs are very good at uh, uh, extending their their support to the women's teams when it comes to things like press access and stuff that is on the face of it actually not really that important is there other areas that you've seen where, where clubs have actually been slow in actually extending their support to the women's teams?
3: I don't think so I think maybe and it, it does depend on the team but it, it, it's more sort of um the sports science I think the problem is you've got your physios will be sort of more likely to be football physios who are used to men's football, used to, to, to you know, the, the, the build of male footballers as opposed to female footballers. And that's maybe something that, that the club should look more at is, um, you know, looking a- away from, from football and into more of women's sports to understand a bit more about the physiology and, and the likelihood of ACLs and that kind of thing with sort of more preventative. Uh, things i think um when steph horton did her acl a few years ago uh, man city were looking into it and they started doing more uh preventative exercises around the need to stabilize the acl stuff like that that you'll you'll get if you know, if you're coming w- with people who know you know more about women's sports and and nose injury as opposed to men's sports that makes sense
1: it's a really good point there's nowhere near and there's nowhere near enough research into uh into um women women's bodies and sport and how they respond to sport nine times out of ten the uh the data that is produced around these injuries is all done through uh men's physiology um and that's a big problem there needs to be there needs to be a lot more research done into kind of women's uh, women's bodies and how how they work with sport
0: Let's move on to talk about the, the future of the women's game. You, Susie, you mentioned the World Cup is coming up. And there's, we've got a question here about the likely future of the women's football in England and especially the impact that a successful or a non-successful World Cup can have. And my experiences of, of following the, the women's game have, have been that tournament success is is obviously key to the general populace's exposure to the game. So So let's talk a little bit about that.
2: I think the expectations for next year's World Cup are going to be even higher given the success of of Canada um, for sure. And I think it it was interesting, you know, the ladies were talking earlier about getting to, you know, that relationship with the players going forward and and building a a positive relationship. I think with the the Lionesses for sure, you know, they're they're more in the public consciousness. They know about Frank Kirby, they know about Lucy Bronze, they'll know about Jordan Knobbs. And I think that's been a labour of love. Of the the general public, the English public anyway, getting to know them as players and as people. So I fully expect, you know, now that we have Phil Neville on board, that that's going to raise even more awareness about the Lionesses and even more expectation about what they can deliver for the World Cup. I think it, there'll be some challenges for sure, but I think it will all be positive. I think the fact that you know, talking about the Englands, you know, men's team with the Nations League and how the the country are getting behind the men's I can't see any reason why it won't be the same for the women it may not be at the same levels but I think there'll be so much more coverage in terms of press social media online written as well Well, I've just said written um radio I think there's going to be a lot of expectations on those on those players shoulders um yeah I think it's um I'm excited for it I'm excited for it and I think it's um you know I have a a a niece-in-law who's 10, 11 years of age And she's really excited About the World Cup next year She can't wait She plays football herself And is really, really Looking forward to it And, and that makes me happy The fact that she's You know, she's really Into the game She plays the game And she can't wait To
3: see her favourite players On the world stage The thing for me When you, when you look at Tournament success uh, And in countries All around the world With women's football it, it never translates To the domestic game It's, it's always localised To the national team And if you look at the the boom in the Netherlands after hosting Euro twenty seventeen, after winning Euro twenty seventeen, they're selling out matches in twenty five minutes. That's that's twenty thousand people through the doors. But if you go to Eredivisie matches, it's it's like a ghost town. And I think that's there needs to be some way because people always get behind their country if it's a sport they like. There's there's so much to tap into there, but there's there's a disconnect with getting those people interested in the domestic league seeing those those players week
0: in week out. what do you think the solution to that is then is that simply that the marketing is just mainly focused on the international game and there's not really been the same kind of drive in the in the domestic.
3: You need some more exposure and if you're <clears throat> if you're doing things with the tournament you're pushing um, you're pushing the coverage you need just to be like oh and by the way did you know that there's a women's league did you know but, uh, yada 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 and maybe if you've got women's teams with affiliated men's teams, if they can push that as well, I think it's the only way you can do it. Is just to, to just hammer home the point over and over and over again. By the way, there's a domestic league. It's uh, bad
1: timing for me in terms of England's chances at the World Cup because you know after Jordan Nobbs' injury, I was just yeah. I've just kind of gone a bit doom and gloom about the about the prospects. I think it's just so crucial to. Uh, to Phil Neville's plans. No, they've they've got a brilliant team anyway, but you know, that's just that's got me down on the chances. Um but um yeah I think Sophie made a really good point about uh, the Netherlands who are getting, you know, kind of tens and tens of thousands to uh to friendlies, let alone to kind of main, you know, qualifying internationals and things like that, um, since since hosting the World Cup. Um, but yeah, the biggest thing is translating it. Uh, is translating it to um, to the domestic leagues. I think there are things that can be done. Um, you know, if post the Women's World Cup and England have a good run, then uh, you know why not have the first round of WSL fixtures played in men's stadiums and really advertised during the World Cup, um, having adv- you know advertisements for. The, the women's league within the coverage uh, of the world cup um things like that i think there's 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 loads of loads of little things i think it is a big marketing thing i think it's about making games more accessible i think if you know teams played one two three games a year in in a major men's ex- stadium uh, you know which is significantly more accessible and easier to get to for uh Particularly like local fans of a team, then that would be a big step forward as well, and would would start to to drive up uh drive up attendances. I think there's a, a lot to be said to look, for looking at, um, at the way kind of hockey and netball have um uh, have come out of major tournaments with with or gone into major tournaments with serious plans about what they want to do post that tournament and how they want to build uh their leagues and their international following post those tournaments. Um, you know, netball get. Pretty decent attendances for for quite a kind of un, low like low level funded sport, uh in in their league, um and I think. That that's that's something that needs to be looked at and kind of fed off as well.
0: Well, let's start closing up by talking a little bit more about the the media in general, the wider media. I'm interested to hear your thoughts about whether or not you feel as though you are in an enclave in the in the football media. I, I know f- for you, Susie, you're obviously working in in on the Guardian desk, so you, I'm sure you feel uh, a little bit broader. But Anne Marie, Sophie, do you feel as though you're you are just in an enclave in the in the football media, or do you feel as though you're part of a wider grouping?
2: Do I feel like I'm part of a wider group? Yes, I would say so. When I've written pieces for The Voice newspaper, for sure. And as I mentioned earlier, I cover tennis as well and a little bit of netball, as Susie mentioned. So I I, I do feel um, that I am part of the wider media. I feel that whether if people actually see that, I don't know. So I think the question is, is what what can I do about that? And I think it's for me personally, continually putting out good pieces of work and talking about the different um, and talking about not just about what happens on on the field of play, but also the politics around the women's game, for example, the politics around the men's game. That's something that I'm very interested in, um very much so. So I try and and, and bring that across as well, um, because some people they do enjoy match reporting, they also enjoy the business of the sport as well, and I try and reflect that in my in my pieces. So I do feel like I am part of a wider media. I think the onus is on me to keep putting out good content good quality pieces and hopefully I can demonstrate that I am part of that wider movement
3: I feel it actually incredibly niche um, wh- whether it's because I'm not a part of the mainstream media whether it's just it's, it's women's football um, when uh, I went to St George's Park for uh, Phil Neville's first press conference as a thing that was kind of unveiled uh, at the start of the year <clears throat> and because it was Neville and because there was all the interest and everything still with the fallout from Samson there was a huge uh, presence from from the mainstream, it, you know, and and it's, and it's 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 journalists you know of, but you wouldn't have talked to because they do men's football. And there was there was a moment when Phil was was fielding questions because it sat in the middle of the circle, and they were all sort of grouped around him, and the people uh, exclusively who do women's football uh, were sort of sat behind off of this group, and it and it and it just was was an us them situation. And I think that's kind of how I, I sort of see myself is, no, I'm that's they're there. They're there. But I'm I'm off here just doing women's football. Just if you need any informo- information about like sort of the Swedish league, you can come to me. That's fine. I'm not going to uh, I'm just I don't belong in that group.
1: Yeah, I kind of feel like I straddle uh, both a little yeah. bit. I've got a good relationship with um, with Sophie and a lot of like other journalists that exclusively cover women's football. And then I like to make it in this industry. I've done a lot of networking, which it, which is key to journalism. Yeah. So I do, you know, like I say, I've worked at various different places and built relationships with a lot of different people who cover a lot of different sports and a lot of different. Um, uh, men women journalists um of all different levels and uh but I do I do kind of feel like I am you know kind of in a little bit of a, a pigeonhole within the mainstream as well um in covering women's football I don't think many people know that I have covered men's football I don't think many people know that I follow men's football or that I follow tennis and formula 1 and things like that as well I mean and I, you know that I do the desk work that I do to help make ends meet and stuff um, so yeah I don't you yeah, know I, I I, I kind of, in fact, I feel like I straddle kind of three strands in that, um, you know, I kind of am a part of, I feel a part of the women's football team. Um, I, I, I do feel um, like a a sports writer more generally, but I also feel a part of um, of production. Um, like, I just got a huge amount of respect for everyone who kind of works on desks with very little credit. Uh publicly or in wards or anything um who actually physically put out the products every single day um and i do feel part of that as well so i yeah i don't i don't feel like i have a, a single home but um but yeah i kind of straddle those three um and sort of yeah jack of all trades master and run.
0: do you think when it comes to football that that people devalue your opinion on the game in general do do you feel as though you get pigeonholed and say well this is Susie she has this opinion on women's football that is valuable but we will talk to someone else when it comes to to other football
1: yeah I think there is there is a bit of that I think it is starting to to change a little bit I am getting asked um about things a little bit more generally um I think there's also a little bit of um uh a disconnect between um uh i want to say journalists and um ex professionals turns journalists um and i think it, it is a problem in the men not a problem it is a thing in the men's game as well um where you you know you've got a lot of pundits and things and writers who uh were professional sports players um but in the women's game it, i'd say that's even more so and it's not to say they haven't massively earned their stripes you know people like Alex Scott, I think, is is absolutely fantastic. And I don't think... I think a lot of people don't know how much work she did behind the scenes to get her sports journalism degree, you know, writing columns when she was uh pretty young um and doing a lot of stuff in the background people think she just kind of jumped from the pitch to the to the uh to the newsroom she didn't she did she did a lot of behind the scenes work but I think there is uh I, I you know I, I will often feel like my my kind of because I'm not played professionally I did play when I was younger for various teams but because I'm not played professionally um that uh that it matters that my my opinion matters less and in the men's game you get exactly the same thing happening, but it's almost the opposite way round in that the, the journalists have the authority and the professionals, um, are respected for their profession, for, for their, uh, their take on professional football, but, um, are, are not necessarily, uh, seen as well-rounded journalists in the, in the way that the, uh, the, uh, the kind of, the, the career journalists are. Um, I think that's a little bit of a difference. Um, and is something that I grapple with a bit you know that uh if a if an organization is looking for a women's football journalist they'll probably look for an ex-player before they look for who who is a name before they look for a women's football journalist or a journalist um and yeah I I don't think it's a conscious thing but um I, I think it's about how they think they can sell uh Sell women's football, and um, if you've got uh, a name attached to it, they think that will help rather than necessarily the content that they're putting out. Which, yeah, it's just a hard one to grapple with, but um, yeah, it's it's uh, an interesting process.
0: Anne Sophie, have you got anything you want to add on this? The sort of idea of being pigeonholed into being allowed an opinion on women's football but not men's,
2: just ditto everything Susie said actually. She I was as she was speaking, I was nodding my head, <laughs> likewise, really.
0: I ask a question on, on all of these podcasts about the future of the media. What do you see the future of the media being? Uh, let's talk particularly in terms of women's football here. How do you see the future of the women's football media going and how do you see yourself fitting within it?
2: I think digital is now starting to play a really, really big part. We talked about demands on on managers and players' times in terms of interviews. We've now got you know Facebook now involved in terms of broadcasting matches as well as it being on the red button and on the radio. And in the written press as well. So I think you'll you'll see now more over the top providers, hopefully, putting in a bid to show more matches, whether it be um, via Facebook or YouTube or or something similar. Even Netflix maybe one day. I think that's something that is going to happen for sure. And how do I see myself fitting into it? I I see myself fitting into it as somebody who who loves the game, who wants to see the game grow and any part that I can play in that I'm I'm a happy person I'm aware of as I as I mentioned the digital side of things so it's it's the onus is on me to keep up to date with trends and and seeing how the game is growing through digital channels and wanting to be a part of that but I can only see the game going up um, I think the interest is there I think it as the ladies mentioned earlier it's about exposure and it's about raising awareness and the club's playing a big part in that I hope that they'll keep their channels open for us so we can still speak to players and and speak to managers and and get to know them. But I I do believe that digital is going to play a really, really big part, and I do see myself as a part of that.
3: I'd agree. I'd say um, it's going to, I think we are just moving much, much more towards digital in, in terms of obviously broadcasts, but putting out relevant content you know interviews it's you're not going to be reading them so much as you're going to be watching them sort of things like that i think just especially for women's football it's more likely to drift away from traditional print media it just sort of seems like you know with your if you're battling against how much people want of it and how much you're actually you're budgeted to put out it's far easier if you've just got a clip you can you can throw forward as opposed to getting someone to, to write something. And, um, I, I have absolutely no idea what, what role I'll be playing. Um, I probably might find me uh, somewhere in, in Germany or something. So, sort of reporting on the, 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 lowest echelons of, 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 of German non-league or something like that. That's, that seems about, seems about right, I think.
1: <laughs> I think the, interesting thing about women's uh, women's football media is that it's growing Um, and I don't think it's going to stop growing because women's football is growing Um, and I think things like obviously the World Cup but also you know England's most likely hosting the 2021 European Championships they're they're going to have a big impact Um, so where mostly the industry is shrinking it's a little growth area so it's a good place to be Um, I'd agree that you know kind of the future is Uh, is very digital, um, but I think there will be space for print media within that uh, as well. Um, I don't think it will ever... Truly die, though I think you'll see big changes. I think it, it will change its form, more specialist publications and more kind of long form um, and less daily uh, stuff. I think is probably more likely, um, but it's just me kind of my my, my personal thoughts. Um, I think one of the interesting things about uh, women's football media is because it's a little bit new. There is a chance to be a bit more experimental with it and um, uh, a bit more freedom to. Uh, Try and do something different. Um, you know, there's there's a standard way you will write a match report for a men's football football match and a way you will do an interview and a way you, you will do a feature and write it and report on it. Um, why not just throw that all out? Um, you know, most people who have... Uh, who read a match report will have probably already seen or the score know the game seen who scored have read something like online within minutes of them finishing if they're interested in it so is a traditional match report actually that necessary anymore um like why not why not just do something a little bit different and find a way of reporting on a match that isn't quite so traditional I kind of like like I like I like the idea of um, it being used as a testing ground to just be really, really experimental. But whether anyone, any big national organisation is bold enough to kind of play around in that way is uh, is another thing and to think outside the box.
0: Well, thank you very much for coming on. Usually at this point I, I go around and ask each uh, individual where we can, when we can follow them. I think it's probably going to be easier if I just go through your your Twitter profiles and and give people your Twitter details so they can follow you. So we've uh, be, we've been lucky today to have three fantastic journalists. Sophie Lawson is at Lawson underscore sv. She's a freelancer, match reporter, and apparently a pancake maker and editor of Woso Vavil. So if you can find her at Woso underscore Vavil and also at SheKicks.net dot net where she's a contributor. Susie Rack is a football football writer for Guardian Sports, so obviously her stuff is going up at Guardian underscore sport. Susie is at Susie Rack, that's S-U-Z-Y-W-R-A-C-K. She's a freelance journalist, a designer, an FA level one coach, a jack of all trades. She calls herself a member of Women in Football, which can be found at Women in Football. Anne-Marie Batson is at Anne-Marie Batson, A-N-N-E-M-A-R-I-E, Batson, as in... Brendan Batson is that right that's right that is right she's a sports broadcaster at BBC 5 live sports extra which is at BBC 5 LSX and also at Talksport 2 she's a contributor at love sport radio and a journo at the voice news uh, and also is an event host if you want her PR that that is at amberglass PR on twitter Guys, thank you so much for coming on. It's been great to chat and we could have carried on, no doubt, for much longer. So thank you very much for coming on.
1: No problem. It's been great. Thank
0: you. Thanks for listening to the Football Media Podcast with me, John McKenzie. If you enjoyed the episode, please subscribe, rate and review on iTunes or follow us on Twitter at Footy Media Pod. You can tune in next week to hear Richard Whittle talk about football media in the American context. But until then, have a good week. Goodbye.